Welcome back to the Revenue Recovery Podcast. Today we're talking with Executive Vice President of Settlements and MCAG, Peter Schmidt. Pete is about to take us on a deep dive into pharmaceutical benefit plan settlements. Stay tuned. I'm Ted Long, and I'm visiting with Peter Schmidt of MCAG. Pete, welcome back to the podcast. Thanks, Ted. Glad to be here. You know, there are currently a number of active antitrust settlements out there that fall into the category of what I think you refer to as pharmaceutical benefit plan settlements. Can you fill us in on what these are all about? Sure. So um, that's correct. There are These are a very common type of settlement. Um, we have filed into more than 40 over the past 10 years, and they really seem to pick up recently as well. Um, it's called a pay-for-delay settlement, also called a, re- a reverse um, payment issue. And the situation is such that a generic drug manufacturer will challenge the patent of the primary drug manufacturer. And what often happens is that the primary drug manufacturer will then sue uh, the the generic uh, company. And then rather than uh, seeking damages, they'll actually pay them to settle out of court. And so they'll pay them to delay the release of the, of the generic uh, drug. And that's, that's why it's called a reverse payment or a pay for delay. Um, there have been quite a few changes to the industry lately where the payments aren't necessarily cash. There is more uh, there are more options for compensation, but still the basis of it is the primary manufacturer is compensating a generic manufacturer to delay that generic drug, which of course means that the price stays high. So uh, tell me then, so why are they called benefit plan settlements? How, talk, Good. What does yeah, that so say about is, eligibility for people listening? Yes, thank you. So the this is where the uh, employee benefits and HR gets to shine. If you're not already listening, please send that on to the HR or employee benefits department. <laughs> exactly. Um, these are for uh, self-insured companies um, when the company is uh, assuming the risk for uh, paying for medical claims and for drugs for their employees. Okay. And um, the reason then that they're called uh, benefit plan settlements or pharmaceutical benefit plan settlements is when you are purchasing the drugs on behalf of your employees, you will have suffered the harm. Sure. Okay. So who's eligible then? So any self-insured company, um, there isn't really a limit uh, in terms of size. We used to say that it was, you know, several thousand employees was probable, but that doesn't seem to be the case. There's often um, exceptions there where companies have decided for one reason or another to be self-insured. But as long as your benefit plan is is self-insured, then you are eligible. You will have purchased these drugs. You will have allegedly suffered a loss. Okay. And then are there... I noticed some of these uh, are by like state by state. How does that fit into it? Yes, that's true. And that also has to do with um, the Illinois brick indirect purchaser laws that I think we've talked about before. There's basically just um, precedent in the courts where there are certain states that are eligible to file into indirect purchaser settlements and others that aren't. So how big are these settlements? They're big. They are usually tens of millions to um, potentially hundreds of millions. Um, the The average payout, which should definitely be taken with a grain of salt, is around $2,000 per settlement. The reason I say it should be questioned is because there's a lot of variety in terms of size of company, and sometimes it's a couple hundred dollars, and sometimes right. it's thousands of dollars. Well, what's different from what I'm hearing, Pete, is that you're saying you're talking about this in plural. I mean, mm-hmm. this a lot of times we're we're listening to information from MCAG about a specific settlement. This one, it's settlements. I yes. mean, there's more than one here floating around. Yeah, that's important to note. It's a very common type of settlement. Um, the The lift is very little on behalf of clients and on behalf of any entity that files as long as they're aware of them. And yes, it is a, it is a re, uh, 
almost like an annuity in terms of an opportunity. There are multiple settlements per year. And as long as we get the communication going um, with the appropriate people within the organization, the filing is very easy. Excellent. You're listening to the Revenue Recovery Podcast. Today, we're talking with Peter Schmidt of MCAG about pharmaceutical benefit plan settlements. So, Pete, as we just said, there's multiple settlements floating around here with this pharmaceutical benefit plan um, title. Can you talk about a couple of specific ones for us? Sure. So the two that are on the uh, current horizon, the first, and forgive my pronunciation if I'm not naming the drugs correctly, uh, thalamid and revlimid. They're both cancer drugs. That's Um, a mouthful. Yeah, that that happens often in the (laughs) pharmaceutical industry. Um, The deadline is December 30th this year, so a little over a month away. $55 million uh, settlement fund. There are, it's limited. There's only 13 states that are eligible for that one. That's just a, you know, a, a variety that, that happens. No, no um, explanation that's worth diving into is why there's that many a number of states. But it's a, it's a good opportunity for entities in those states. Um, those states are listed on the website, but some, some to note would be uh, California, New York, Michigan, um, Tennessee, as uh, ones that are generally uh, eligible and certainly are eligible in this one as well. Um, the other is the Provigil. Um, that's a sleep disorder drug. Uh, the $65 million settlement fund, and the deadline is January 15th, 2020. Okay. So you have two, first being December, mm-hmm. end of December, and this one's January 15th. Right. And okay. the and as we talked about before, once we were to get in contact with someone in HR or in the employee benefits arena, uh, they would likely simply send an email on to the PBM or the pharmacy benefits manager, and they would send on the required data. So you mentioned PBMs. How do they fit into this? What what if I'm getting requests from my PBMs involving this? What do I do? Sure. So the the PBM or the pharmacy benefit manager, um, for our purposes here, is the holder of the data. They have that information very easily accessible. Um, have generally provided it uh, very quickly with a with a simple request. There have been instances lately where we've seen the PBMs offer to file on behalf of their clients. Um, that in general is, you know, is, is something to consider because they do have the data and they they would be able to take care of it easily in a similar way that we're talking about. Um, the the things to keep in mind before accepting the PBM's offer without just getting the data would be um, what fee are they charging? Um, what do they plan on doing with the recovery? Are they going to send it to you as the client? Or are they going to use it as a credit um, or something along those lines? And then um, were you with that PBM for the entire period? Then you were with the PBM, and therefore their their filing may be limited by that. Excellent. So we can't talk about pharmacy and pharma without talking about opioid. I know we probably want to do a complete on our own podcast on that subject, but can you fill us in a little bit about what's going on there? Sure. Yes. And I think that's a good idea. It's a very large and very complicated settlement, but it is already, um, there are already settlements that uh, equal hundreds of millions. It will likely be hundreds of billions, um, like the tobacco settlement and likely just as complex as well. Um, what you're really looking at uh, at the present is a novel idea of a negotiation class, which has to do with um, rather than having class members that would represent everyone, you're going to actually have a much more representative class, for lack of a better word, and they will actually vote on the legitimacy of the settlement. So it's a much more comprehensive settlement. Very early on in terms of lawsuits, bellwether trials going on now, um, but certainly a lot of potential money out there for cities, states, and um some opportunity for uh, healthcare as well. So certainly, as an MCAG client, um, you know, continue to watch the 
uh, alerts that are sent out by MCAG on that particular subject. And then, you know, stay tuned here because we'll come back and we'll do a, a focused effort to talk about opioid settlement and we'll bring Pete back on. Great. Looking forward to that. Peter, I'm sure a few of our listeners have now recognized that they're eligible for one or more of these pharma benefit plan settlements. What do you recommend as the next steps? Yes. So if if a entity is not already enrolled with MCAG, I suggest that they visit the website, uh, www.mcaginc.com. They can find information there about the settlements, also about our service. Mm-hmm. Um, certainly welcome to reach out to us via email or phone or, or through the website as well. Um, if they, if an entity is already enrolled, um, having a, organizing a conversation with HR or with the employee benefits plan director or whoever may be most appropriate in that department would be the first step. Excellent. Well, Pete, you've shared some great information. Thanks for joining us today. We'll have Pete back on soon to talk about other settlements. But until then, if you want to connect with him and learn more about MKEG Settlement Recovery Service, information on how you can reach out to Pete are in the notes of this podcast. You've been listening to the Revenue Recovery Podcast, where we make revenue recovery simple. Be sure to visit www.mkeginc, that's M-C-A-G-I-N-C.com, for more information about MKEG and its Revenue Recovery Consulting Service. Until next time, over and out.